So um, I was a youth pastor back in the day, and um, I took every other year we would take our students to a summer youth conference that was held in various university campuses. And this one was held at Fort Collins. And there's about 6,000 students and adults that would go to this um, conference. And I, you know, tried to be as much as I could, even though I was older, tried to relate to the students. And so this was the, okay, so I'm going to, this is how old I am, but th this was in the 90s, right? <laughs> Can you remember? Some, anyway, some of you weren't even born. Um, but uh, so... <laughs> That's kind of when flip-flops were, I don't know if they began, but that's when I was first introduced to them. And so I started to wear them, and I just wasn't very good at it. I don't know if you've ever had flip-flops where the, the front part of it would get caught underneath you, and then you would stumble. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I was going to, we were in a dorms, and there was a cafeteria, and um, I was just getting done eating, I was by myself, and the kids were all doing whatever, and I know, great youth pastor, and I was walking through this corridor, there was glass on one side, glass on the other side, it's somewhat narrow, and there was this youth pastor with his group of guys, his youth guys, his high school guys, and they were walking, and this is where I think music began to play in my head, and so they're walking, you know, and his hair is flowing, and, and I've got gray hair, and it's just it's just one of those weird moments, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to be cool, and I'm kind of half walking, half jogging, and they're coming this way, and my flip-flop thing got caught underneath my foot, and, and, and I could tell my momentum was going forward. And I, I, at that moment, I'm going, all right, what, what are you going to do, Kevin? Um, I mean, you're such a klutz, right? And I, all right. And it was back in the day when I was still as limber and athletic, and I decided I'm just going to tuck my head, and I hit on my back and rolled over and popped back up and just kept walking. I looked back and go, what? You know? <laughs> like it was the most natural thing in the world to do. And that was just weird, right? So here's situation number two. This happened um, last weekend, and we had people over. I think we were watching the game. I'm not sure what we were doing. Um, but I, we were going to start the uh, start a fire in my house, not in my house, <laughs> ah, in a fireplace, right? In our fireplace. And so I had to go out in our backyard to get wood to collect the fireplace. And we have a, a deck, and we have some steps that go down the deck. And so I was proceeding to. It's dark outside, and I'm proceeding, and I navigated the six steps really well. The only problem is we have eight steps, and and so, <laughs> you know how when your foot goes and you're expecting, you know, solid ground and then you get solid air, that um, I met the ground very hard and my knees hit first and, and I didn't go forward, but I landed on um, my rear, landed like they bent clear up and my knees don't bend that way anymore and it hurt. I mean, it, it was just like, you know, that blinding light that white light that you see, and it hurt, and it just plopped me right to the ground. And I remember, I was trying to scream, and I really couldn't, um, but I remember looking up after I was just kind of got my wits about me, and I'm looking up, and there is my three, you know, the three big windows, and there's everybody inside. Everybody's inside laughing and having fun, and I'm looking up and going, help. 
you know, and I finally realized that uh, I'm going to be okay somewhat, and I've got bruise in my, ah, it's my knees, this does hurt, but I was able to limp and get the wood and come back in. I tell you those two stories because I think it illustrates something that happens a lot for us, is that when we encounter God's truth, that I feel like in my life, especially just in our lives, that we respond two ways. We probably genuinely respond the first way, that first situation where when I knew I was going to hit the ground, I did that flip and pop back up and then turn back and go, what? And nothing really happened, right? I didn't, I encountered the ground, but nothing really changed at all, right? The second situation, I hit the ground and it was a violent encounter with the ground and it hurt. And I knew that if um, I didn't want that to happen again, that I needed to change, right? I need to remember how many steps I actually had between the, the deck and the ground, or I needed to put a light out there so I could see that I'm not quite there yet. In my prayer this morning, my prayer this morning is we continue to talk about the Reformation and, and, and what that began to um, bring about, right? Bring about the right thinking that was already there in Scripture, but the church had been deviating from that and then the Reformation brought us back to the truth in God's word that when we talk about this this morning, um, faith alone and Christ alone, that you will have this, um, and I'm probably going to use this term, this violent encounter with that truth in your heart this morning. And you will, you will um, hopefully have to make that decision of whether I'm going to change or I'm just going to continue to do that flip, pop back up, and just continue to walk along my merry way. So with that, let's pray, and then we're going to dive right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, God, that um, you love us. Thank you, Father, for um, your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for the many, many faithful people in history that um, endured so much persecution, God, to... Stand firm on your truth. And God, I pray as a church family, God, I pray in my heart that, um, that you will find me faithful. And God, we need you this morning. We need your spirit. We can't do this on our own. So God, strengthen us, strengthen us in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series, Reformation, and um, 500 years ago, uh, Martin Luther... He um, really uh, he gained a, a place in, in our Christian circles of being one of the guys that was instrumental in this whole Protestant Reformation. And it started with him, at least, with um, this nailing of the 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg door. And thank you for someone correcting me that the W is a V kind of sound in German. That was good. We needed that. And so it's, um, this is what he did, right? And there was some of his, I don't know if they his associates or friends who, who took that, and then they then translated that into German so that other people could um, read what he was proposing, this discussion points with um, the church at the time. And so that's really kind of began this whole Reformation, this whole Reformation process um, in the church. And um, he may not have realized it then, 
But that was a very, very, very significant moment um, in history for their church family. Um, one thing particular that, that Martin Luther began to wrestle with um, as he was writing and as he was studying, I mean, he I incorrectly said two weeks ago that he didn't know Latin. That's just totally false. He did know Latin, and he also um, was learning Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of the Bible. And as he was beginning to study and, and learn and become more and more immersed with that in the truth, there was one particular verse in Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 17, that he just could not get out of his head. And it's um, this verse here. For in the gospel, stop it. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And it's this particular phrase that really got Martin Luther. He just did not understand this whole phrase of the righteous um, will live by faith. And what he began to, to write and, and mull over in his head was, and he wrote about this, he said, not only did I not love, not only did I not love, but I actually hated the righteousness of God who punishes sinners. I mean, he was a faithful monk. He, was, um, he did everything. In fact, I think he was one of the I don't know if they rank monks, but one of the top, right? He did everything right. He was very pious. And um, he could, uh, he just would do everything that he could to not sin and, and all those kind of things. And, um, um, but he could never see himself as anything other than a sinner before the throne of God. And, and every other thing that he would tried to do every other religious observance, whether in an obedience, um, in his mind failed, right, to satisfy a righteous God. And throughout this whole time, um, he never left the, this thought, this verse in Romans, and he would begin to mull that over day in and day night and, day, and in the night, and he would meditate on it, and he um, over time, slowly began to appreciate the theological meaning of this um, idea that the righteous will live by faith. And listen to what he said. Then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous, lies by a, the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely faith. And so Luther writes um, in this, um, of this, moment of discovery, and it was really a joyous moment for him, and it was really when this time that the veil lifted from his eyes, and he began to understand that a very merciful God justifies us, makes us right by faith. You need to understand that during this time, during this time, the medieval church um, was embracing this whole idea of salvation being made right by God with this old idea of works, that there was this faith thing, but there would need to be works added to it. And so not only did many teach that baptism and that other sacraments, there were seven of them, were necessary for salvation, but 
um, there was numerous church leaders within, that, within the church that were selling, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that they were selling indulgences. And, and what that is is pardons from priests uh, for specific sins. And so in essence, what they're saying is if you want to, to do some sinning later on, um, tomorrow, whatever new, it, you, can, you can go ahead and do that. What you just need to do is come to, to me or to come to a church leader and, and purchase um, these indulgences, right, these pardons for specific sins, and, and you'll be good to go, in, in essence. That's very simplistic, but that's what was happening. And, and Luther had a big problem with that as he began to dive in to the Bible as he began to understand Romans 1.17 and the other truths that were um, uh, written about in the New Testament. And that's a big reason why he, um, he, would write, he would write the 95 Thesis. That was one of the main reasons why he wanted to have this discussion with uh, the medieval church, the churches of that day, to really talk about I mean, this is just wrong. This doesn't line up with what I um, am seeing in the Bible. Because for, from his point, right, what he was seeing, what he was reading, was that the Bible teaches that justification is by grace through faith, through faith in Christ Jesus. And so this right standing, this justification with God, they said cannot be bought, it cannot be earned, it cannot be sold. And it comes from believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so he said, I need to have this discussion with you as a church. And the church at that time wanted nothing to do what Luther was wanting to discuss about. And so they had this meeting with him, and um, they basically said, forget it. And they um, shunned him, they um, called him a heretic, and he... Um, to escape for his life, he was uh, hidden away at a castle. And it was at that time that he spent the next, I believe, 10 months or so um, taking the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin and translating it into German. And that's when people began to get um, the New Testament in their own language. That's how that came about. And so this truth that we're talking about this morning is this idea of faith alone, right, uh, in Christ alone. And it's not faith plus, plus works, and it's not something else, someone else, I mean. It's just Jesus Christ alone. So faith alone in Christ alone. In the book of Romans, Paul lays out this beautifully, and we're, gonna, and we're just going to briefly skim over chapter 3 and chapter 4. And he lays us out in chapter 3, verses uh, 9 through 23. We learn that um, there is this universal problem, and, and it's called sin, right? And we begin to learn that when God created mankind, that he created them perfect, and it was enjoying this union between, you know, Adam and Eve and the earth and God. And sin happened, you know, Adam and Eve sinned. And when that happened, it separated mankind, right, not only from um, others, but also from ourselves. And then the big one is that it separated us from God. And so there was this universal problem that 
um, Paul's laying out for us in Romans chapter 3. That, um, sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's my, why my text message is going crazy. Yep. Everyone, thank you. Man, I'm doing all that. <laughs> Yay. Can you see that now? <laughs> I wonder why you're all falling asleep. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So sin separates us from ourselves. Right? Others and God. And so that was the problem, this universal problem that Paul was talking about in, in Romans chapter 3. And um, later on in verses 21 through 26, he says that, that there is this cure to this problem of, of sin, right? That separates ourselves from others and God. And, right, it's the cross, it's Jesus. That when God brought Jesus um, down as a man, fully man, fully God, perfect in, in every way, um, that this was the cure for this separation that sin brought in our life from ourselves, from others, and from God. And we learned that our sin needed to be atoned for. This is a term, right, that um, meant that um, there's something that needed to appease a God. And so um, God's wrath needed to be appeased. And so this word atonement that's something that needed to happen. We also needed to be made right. This word justification, that we needed to be made right, a legal term, need to be made right before God. And then we needed to be redeemed. Our Redeemer came, redemption. And that was a slavery term. And that meant that, we, um, that when you're redeemed in redemption, it means that someone is buying your freedom. And so all these things come into play. And, and Paul says in order for this cure to happen, that we needed to... We need to have faith, right? We need to have faith that Jesus atoned for my sin. We need to have faith that Jesus justified me in spite of my sin. And we need to have faith that Jesus redeemed me. He bought me um, from my sin. And then Paul goes on in chapter 4, and he explains to the readers in chapter 4 that if, if salvation is because I think they were still hung up on this idea of, all right, what is this faith? And, man, works, shouldn't they play into it both and? And so he began to uh, work with their argument. And he was, in chapter 4, he says that there's, salvation is something, um, if salvation is something we work for, then it is something that God owes us. And then where is that line that we say, well, wh what is enough? What is enough? And, and so God simplified that for us. And he said it's not something that we earn, right? Travis talked about it last week. It's this great, this thing called grace, this unmerited favor that God has given to us, this gift, and we're to receive it. And so if works is about earning, then we need, then we, right? If, if I um, work for someone, then I expect, I deserve, right, to be paid for my work. And so if, if it's faith plus works, then what we're really saying is that, God, you deserve or I deserve something from you in return for what I'm doing. And that's not 
what he's saying here. It's not about earning and it's not about deserving, right? It's this unmerited favor. I'm giving it to you freely. And, and, and the faith is then just simply believing, right, and receiving it. We don't do anything in the process. And he goes on to say in chapter 4 that all Jew and Gentile need this cure, need this faith. And then Paul goes, well, okay, well, what about the law? And so then Paul says that the law shows us what we have done is wrong. And our faith is what makes us right before God. And I was thinking about that, and I ran across this illustration that was interesting to me. And I'm going to kind of update it um, with my girls. And so this is not original, but I'm going to update it. And so um, think about, uh, a lot of you have kids, right? So think about when, you're, for me, when our kids were younger, if we were going to go somewhere that they really wanted to go to. It was an event that they really wanted to go to. And so um, usually we'll get the kids ready first, right? Or something like that. And then we'll say, all right, you guys just hang tight. You know, don't do anything crazy. Mom and I will get ready, and, and then we'll go. Well, you know, what if during that time frame where um, Janet and I are getting ready that one of our girls, and we had one that would probably do this, one would go outside, right, and just have fun, be a kid. And, and we were getting into the car, and we would go, hey, where is so-and-so? And there she is. And, you know, she's just having fun. And in the process of having fun, um, she got dirty. You know, her face is dirty. And I would go up to her and say, hey, we, we can't go to this event that you really want to go to with you, with you looking like that. And she goes, well, what do you mean? You know, mom just cleaned me up before. I look fine. And I go, well, no, you don't look fine. You have dirt all over your face. And she says, well, I can't see that. And, and so I, instead of uh, me arguing with her, um, I would take her inside and I would take her to the bathroom. I said, all right you know, plop her up on the sink, and I said, look at yourself in the mirror. And she would begin to realize that, oh, yeah, my face is dirty. And then, you know, I would take the mirror, and I would clean, it, clean the dirt off her face. No, that's not what would I do, right? I wouldn't do that. We would take soap and water and would wash the dirt off of her face. And I want you to understand that a lot of us do that. You see, the law is like that mirror, it shows us that there's dirt on our face. But what we tend to do is we tend to want to grab that mirror and try to clean ourselves up with that. And that's not what the gospel is about. See, the law shows us that we're far from God. And we don't take the law then and try to get ourselves close to God. What we need is the absolute, incredible, perfect blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and I on the cross he died, he was buried, he rose again, seated at the right hand now of God. He is our mediator, right? He's our perfect substitute. Our, he atoned for our sins. And we put our faith in that. That's what we need to be washed with. And then Paul ends that chapter in chapter 4, and he, he states... That faith is a relationship of trust and reliance. That faith is this relationship of trust and reliance. No matter if it's in the high points in your life or in the low points in your life, it's consistent. It's this consistent faith um, 
that he has the power to do what he promised. And that just is such amazing, amazing truth to me. And so justification is this gracious act. Justification is being made right before, before God, with God, is this gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. It's unearned, it's unmerited, it's grace, it's absolutely incredible. So let's look at that. Justification is a gracious act of God. So, right, no one is right before God. Absolutely no one can make themselves right before God. It is God alone who makes um, us right before him. So no amount of things that I would do, no amount of regret, shame, service, church attendance, prayer, whatever it might be, suffering, um, whatever it is, no amount of that, right, can even, uh, when I put it on the scale, um, can um, measure up enough to be right with God. It's this gracious act of him, of this holy, righteous God that makes it right for me. We cannot achieve salvation by works. We can only receive it by faith. It's this free gift earned by Christ. All right, so it's this, um, by which he declares a sinner righteous. And here's the deal, that sin is, you know, some have uh, equated sin to uh, an archery term where it's this missing the mark thing, where if you miss a mark, that's sin. And then we apply it to our life, right? Well, it's so much more than that. It's not just missing the mark. It's this willful rebellion, um, willfully say, ah, ha, ha, I'm not going to just miss a mark. I'm going to turn around and shoot it over here. It's this willful thing that I just don't want to be holy. I just don't want um, to be like God. And so that's sin. And so we have no case, right? We stand completely guilty before God. But even in spite of that, he declares us righteous, right? When we place our faith in Jesus, he declares us righteous in spite of our sin um, in his sight. And how can this be? Because of right, because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, because of his son. He's the one who solved the problem for us. He loved us. God loved us so much that he sent his son, right, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth perfectly and um, to live this life that we couldn't live and die this death, right, that we deserved. You've heard that before. And so Christ took on the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. And he gave us the righteousness that we cannot earn, that we cannot merit. And then it's solely through faith in Jesus Christ that this happens. Listen to this story in the New Testament. Um, it's about the Philippian jailer. And I want you just to listen as I read the passage. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and, everyone, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't 
Harm yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, or Paul replied this, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in in the house. And at the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. It's just amazing to me that the Philippian jailer had this violent encounter with God's grace, with this whole idea that for, in order for me to be saved, that I needed to believe, and he said, all right, this is what I'm going to do. And his life changed from that moment on. Listen to this other passage. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then Jesus proclaimed this, repent and believe the good news. I want you to know when that begins to happen in your life, it changes everything, right? It changes everything in who you are. When we turn to Christ in faith, our old sinful selves, right, are completely burned away by his sacrifice on the cross. And we begin to die to ourselves, and our every attempt to earn God's favor according to our own merit. And we are justified, made right, before him by faith alone. And we live now by faith alone. Um, and I want you to understand, I want me to understand that there's not a single part of who I am that it's not touched by this truth. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free, um, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh. And then Ephesians 2 8 and 9. And as I'm reading that, I want to have my wife come on up. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to know that um, this is such incredible, incredible truth. And give it up for my beautiful wife. <laughs> Um, so my wife, uh, we both grew up, we'll just talk about growing up just briefly about what it was like for you. Um, I know I didn't ask, brief you with you that question. You didn't tell me exactly what he was <laughs> going to be asking me. Um, I grew up in a home that, um, my parents told me about Christ from when I was wee little and, um, is that what you wanted to know? Keep going. Well, everything kind of ties into what you want. Well, then to just end keep up going. With. Then, yeah, it'd be great. Should I just tell you the whole, the whole thing? Do it. All right, prepared here. Um, I grew up in a home where my parents were Christians, and they told me about Christ. 
And um, we were always told, well, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. And so in order to be saved. And so as a little kid, I was, dear Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. And, um, but then it was just kept going. I kept growing up and thinking, well, am I really saved? And so then I would go to camp or something and then it'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to, so I do the prayer thing again. And kind of just, that was my whole upbringing. I get to, um, went to a Christian college and even was baptized, all these different things. And the whole time I had this, this niggling in the back of my mind of just saying, am I really saved? But then I think, well, I prayed that and, um, you know, so I must be saved. And I think, well, maybe I didn't pray the right things or maybe I didn't mean it enough or something. But it was always just this, this funny feeling that I just don't know if I'm really saved or not. So then we get married and then I start teaching kids in Sunday school and start doing junior high ministry and all that kind of stuff. And still having this in the back of my mind that I just don't know, you know, if, if, if I'm really a Christian or not. And it was such a, um, so powerful in me, that feeling of, of, of questioning that I got to a point where I actually didn't even know if I believed that God was real. And so went to sort of the point of like, oh, there can't be a God. So it really started being, quote unquote, athe atheistic, but um, at, for a while. And all this time, I couldn't even tell Kevin because we were busy, involved in the church, and um, teaching classes and stuff like that. And so it was, it was just eating away inside me. Well, I went and dealt with the atheist viewpoint by looking at history and realizing that, yes, there's enough evidence proving that Christ did exist, which when I dis or that God even exists, and then, well, if God exists, then Christ has to exist, and if Christ exists, well, then is the Bible true? And if the Bible is true, am I saved? Well, you prayed the prayer, but am I saved? And I wrestled and wrestled with this, and I kept going back to praying and praying, and, and um, I was at a conference one day, and the speaker was talking about um, just Jesus dying on the cross and paying for our sins. And it was like there was a light comes on moment where my inside, it just got it. And I realized my prayer had nothing to do with my salvation. It was the fact that Jesus died on the cross and his blood was a payment for my sin. I'm so crying now. But it was so huge because I'd been really wrestling with it. So it was just eating me in the inside. And um, yeah, my inside just jumped up and just said, yes, you know, I got it, that it was Christ's death on the cross that saved me, and it was me choosing, the story of the Philippian jailer was a passage at the time that was important to me, because it says, believe on Jesus, and you will be saved, and I thought, I always thought, well, what about Jesus? I believe on Jesus, so I must, you know, but then it was another passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, where it talks about, and that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And that is the part about Jesus that makes him, where I placed my belief on, was that he died, he was buried, 
and he rose the third day for me. And um, so I changed from my dependence on prayer as my work and going to Bible college, knowing all the right answers to Christ mm. and his death on the cross. Mm. Give it up for my wife. I wanted her to come up and share that with you all um, because, you know, sometimes we feel like that, um, that, if I, that if I grow up in the church, um, that I've got it, it's all good, and, you know, God is going to take me in because I really haven't done anything hugely wrong and then it becomes this whole thing about works and works and works and dependency. And it is so cool that I remember when uh, that moment when my wife, we were driving, and she goes, Kevin, I get it. And I didn't quite understand what she was saying because I just thought she was a Christian. And when she just began to um, pour out her heart on, on that moment, I'm just going, Wow. That just is absolutely amazing, and you don't hear that very often. Um, someone that's older, that maybe has grown up in the church all their life, to really have that um, encounter with Christ and, and go, man, what everything I've done before was works, and I finally get it now, and it's um, placing my faith in Jesus Christ alone and not works, but it's faith in him. Um, I want to close with um, an illustration that um, I read, and I'm just going to read it. Um, it took me a while to get this. They don't give uh, McDonald's boxes anymore, and they're Happy Meals. It's just a sack. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this story. Um, so once there was a young girl whose parents took her to the Shrine of the Golden Arches. There she saw an opportunity to buy a combination of food and a little toy that someone in a fit of marketing genius named the Happy Meal. May I have it, please, she asked her parents. I must have it. I don't think I could live without it. No, her parents told her. The toy is a trivial little thing but just that just enabled the price of this package to be raised beyond what it's really worth. It's not in the budget. We can't do it. But you don't understand, she thought. She knew that they would not just be buying fries, McNuggets, and whatever the toy was in, a minion character, whatever it might be. They would be buying her happiness. She was convinced that she had a little McVacuum at the core of her soul, May hearts are restless until they find their rest in a Happy Meal. And so she explained, I want that Happy Meal more than I've ever wanted anything before. And if I get it, I'll never ask for anything again ever. No more complaining, no more demanding. If you get me that Happy Meal, I'll be content for the rest of my life. This seemed like a pretty good deal to her parents, and so they bought it. And it worked. She grew up to be a contented, grateful, joyful woman. She lived with serenity and grace. Her life, in many ways, was hard, 
The man she married turned out to be a louse, and he abandoned her with three small children and no money. The kids, too, were disappointed. They dropped out of school, sponged off her meager resources, and eventually left her without a trace. When she was an old woman, Social Security gave out, and she had to live from hand to mouth. But she never complained. She had gotten the Happy Meal. She would think of it often. I remember that Happy Meal, she'd say to herself. What great joy I found there. Just as she had predicted, it brought her lasting satisfaction. She was grateful the rest of her life. But does life ever work this way? And then he asked the question, does your life work this way? And he goes on, I think deep down, we want it to work this way. Just one thing, and that will bring me contentment. But it seems it always is just beyond our grasp. I want it to be okay when life is not okay. So who do you trust when everything is not okay? You would think that after a while, children would catch on and they would say, you know, a happy meal never brings lasting happiness. I am not going to get fooled into it this time. But it doesn't happen. When the excitement wears off, right, we need a new fix, another Happy Meal. And they keep buying them, and they, and they keep not working. In fact, the only one Happy Meals bring happiness to is McDonald's. Ever wonder why Ronald McDonald wears that grin all the time on his face? Of course, right, only a child would be so naive. Only a child could be foolish enough to believe that a change in circumstance could bring lasting contentment. Or maybe not. Maybe when you get older, you don't necessarily get any smarter. Right? Your Happy Meal just gets more expensive. All day long, we are bombarded with messages that seek to persuade us of two things. That we are or ought to be discontented and that contentment is only one step away Use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, dry me, drive me, put me in your hair. Whatever it is, people are healthier, cleaner, richer, and better informed than ever before in history. We live longer, eat, tw- eat better, uh, dress warmer, and work less, and play more than ever in the history of human race. But are we happier, or are we just cleaner, healthier, better dressed, discontents? See, I pray that you will have a violent encounter with this truth that we have this sin problem and we've been trying to fill it with everything else but Jesus Christ. And we say everything else, and I'm including church world there as well. And we need to stop. And we need to believe and have faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. We need to lean all of our weight on Jesus. And what scholars believe, what 
this word, or what scholars really believe, what this word believe, have faith, really means is this difference, right, of going in this airplane with a parachute on your back, and when someone asks you, are you ready, you go, yeah, I believe that this parachute will take me safely to the ground, and then you go, all right, jump out, and you go, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, why aren't you do that? Because well, I believe in it. I'm good. As opposed to someone who has the parachute on their back, and they say, do you believe that that's going to carry you to the ground? And you go, yeah, I believe. And they say, all right, it's ready to go. And you go, all right, I'm going to go. And you take that step, and you get out of the plane, and you just go. You pull that ripcord, and the chute opens up, and you land safely to the ground. That, my friend, is faith. That is belief. And I'm afraid that sometimes we go the other route, and we um, have the back or the parachute on our back, not the backpack, the parachute on our back. And we go, yeah, I believe that's going to take me to the ground, but we never step out in faith and put our trust and belief in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. For him to save us, right? And then from that point, to be enough in our daily life. And I pray that when Jesus says in the New Testament, in the gospel, says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that day, on that last day. I pray that you will have a violent encounter with that truth this morning, that sin separates, that God says that we can be made right, that this is given by grace and unmerited gift through faith, nothing else that we need to do in Christ Jesus alone, and you will say yes to him. Not only that first moment, but for the rest of the moments until God takes us home. Because Romans 5.1 says, and then we're going to worship again, is that we can have peace with our Creator. But it only comes through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ.